Future trading involves risk and is not suitable for all investors. Content provided in this segment is meant for educational purposes and is not a solicitation to buy or sell commodities. Hello and welcome to From the Furrow, brought to you by Everag Insights. Each week we talk with subject matter experts on news and topics affecting the grain markets. I'm your host, Britt O'Connell. Let's get started with a review of the markets. Today is Thursday, February 9th. March corn is down three cents at 675 and a half. March soybeans are down three cents, trading 15, 16, and three quarters. With us this week, we have Everag's very own Verl Prather. Verl is the director of buyer relations for our Grain Foundations program and spends a lot of time talking with grain buyers across the country. Welcome to the show, Verl. Hey, thanks for having me again, Britt. Well, Verl, we are getting a lot of snow here in Wisconsin today. Are you getting the same in Illinois? I tell you what, we still have rain uh, so far this morning. So uh, we've got temperatures up uh, mid-40s, so I'm hoping that the snow can kind of stay away from us. But I have heard there's a path through even Iowa that's getting quite a bit of snow. Well, we've certainly seen precipitation show up in all forms across the Midwest, and that was really welcomed in a lot of areas that were fairly drought parched as we moved into the end of the year. But nonetheless, we're not going to talk about weather today. We're going to talk a little bit about the WASDE report. Yesterday, the USDA released its monthly WASDE report, whereas it takes a look at both supply and demand domestically and globally and gives us its projections for the coming month. What were your immediate takeaways, Verl? First of all, you know, it's a it's a February WASDE. Um, so the ultimate focus tends to lean heavily on South America rather than the U.S. You know, domestically, January is our big report. You push past January and, and February, you know, kind of takes a little bit of a backseat here on the domestic balance sheet. Now, that being said, the USDA did come in. They decided to cut ethanol production um, by 25 million bushels, left exports alone, and they reduced soybean crush. Both of those items, uh, you know, fairly bearish for a corn and soybean market. However, their cuts to the Argentinian production certainly overshadowed what they moved in the U.S. Let's talk a little bit about the domestic balance sheet, and then we'll, we'll talk on the global balance sheet. So domestically, the story that continues to live in the corn market is, hey, supplies are really tight, but demand is really lackluster. We saw the USDA affirm that once again in this last WASDE report. Let's dig into that a little bit. You talk with buyers across the country, Verl. You talk to rail loaders, ethanol plants. You talk to export terminals. What is the vibe you're catching from not just the buyers you talk to, but when you look at posted bids across the country, they're telling us something. We are not seeing the numbers, those sexy basis values that we've seen the last two years. Yeah, you're right. I think part of the deal here, like like we saw ethanol demand get cut by the USDA by 25 million bushels yesterday, to your point. And ultimately, the demand for gasoline ha- has been lackluster as well. 
right? So it's kind of trickled its way down to the demand for ethanol and therefore to the demand of corn to be turned into ethanol. A lot of these buyers seem to be a bit less aggressive as as far as uh, needing to contract or book their needs, especially nearby. And we've seen a lot of weakness on corn and soybean basis here more recently. Also, you know, the, these processing plants domestically across the Midwest have continued to see very short hours uh, where in some of these locations, we're lucky to be open four days a week. And, and even if we are, those four days are, are closing down earlier or opening up late. Why is that, Verl? You know, I think it has a lot to do with uh, supply currently. I think a lot of these folks have been overwhelmed by the amount of bushels that are coming through the door. And one of the reasons, you know, there's a few reasons to look at. Obviously, the rail performance isn't doing us any favors. Basically, rail is is, uh, certainly relied upon to get the products away from those facilities. So whether it's ethanol, Soybean oil, soybean meal, a lot of folks rely on the railroad to, to move those out of storage. But I think the bigger factor is we've continued to kind of rally these futures markets through the winter here on both corn and soybeans. That has certainly helped to convince producers to keep moving bushels along and, and out of the bin. But also, I would suggest, you know, look at the weather we've had this winter so far. It's been extremely mild in a lot of cases. It just seems like we've had a lot of 40 degree days. We've had a lot of 50 degree days. And once that bin door is open, a lot of producers have decided to just keep on pushing with as good of a weather forecast as we have had. I would assume a lot of guys are looking at interest rates as well, Verl. Certainly interest rates have taken and move dramatically higher, which has an impact. It has increased the cost to carry product tremendously, really. And I'm guessing that weighs in on it too. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you're exactly right, Britt. You know, these commercial elevators at the very least should be moving grain as fast as they possibly can to get this grain out out of the door and and relieve themselves of their banknotes. Producers, right, are, are looking at the same kind of things, especially if they're holding an operating note um, they really need to dive into the numbers and, and look at how much it's going to cost them to hold on to a bushel of corn from now to the summer. Even though, you know, I would suggest we, maybe we do see a little bit better basis values out into the summer. However, what's it going to cost to get there? And then what do futures do in the meantime? Yeah, that'll certainly be something interesting to watch. Back to the soybean discussion, Verl, around soybean crush. It's been a bit of a buzz in the industry, obviously, as we continue to see demand for soybean oil grow. We started to see uh, new facilities built across the country. New facilities are planned. Retrofits are are being done across the country on older facilities. We talked a little bit about crush being trimmed slightly in this last WASD report. What do you attribute that to? So... I, I think that uh, our crush ultimately has, has been trimmed a little bit because of the domestic demand for, for soybean meal. The USDA kind of pointed out themselves that the disappearance of meal in the country has been a bit lackluster compared to what they were, they, they were thinking prior. So 
between the January and the February report, they actually lowered the amount of tons of soybean meal that they thought were going to be used up domestically. Interesting. Well, that'll certainly be something to uh, take note of, especially considering soybean meal has been pushing pretty hard on that $500 a ton mark, which isn't something we do very often. Yeah, that's that's right. And and it just feels like, you know, the, the reason for that push isn't coming from the domestic use. Um, it's certainly not coming from domestic production, right? But ultimately, I think a lot of that rally has been linked to Argentina's crop, right? And uh, the USDA did come out yesterday and they cut the soybean production estimate by four and a half million metric tons, uh, which is just over 165 million bushels. We've seen a lot of chatter around Argentina lately. Obviously, they've been in a drought. They've gotten some moisture, but as we all know, you don't work your way out of a drought with just a few showers and it's going to take some time for those folks to get those soil moistures built back up. Those in the know down there believe that part of the crop certainly sustains some damage from the dry weather, but part of the crop was at a young enough stage that maybe with some timely rains, it could improve in quality and yield. Let's talk about the trimming that we saw there. The USDA took a pretty big trim in Argentinian production. But if you looked at a lot of third-party analysts, really, they kind of shot the gap. We've got some that believe it's even smaller, sub 40 million metric tons. Some that believe maybe it's a little bit better than what the USDA has predicted. How does that impact the soybean prices as we look at the next 30 to 60 days when we're waiting to learn more about Argentina? You know, ultimately, I I think that it keeps volatility in the soybean market because there are so many different ideas surrounding Argentina's crop and uh, where it's officially going to end up at at the end of this thing. And as you mentioned, right, it it seems like a decent amount of this soybean crop was planted a a little bit later. And, you know, the the Argentinian farmers know that January is, is typically a dry month. Right. And so they have tried to kind of push the planting dates to take advantage of some of the moisture that typically does start showing up in February. Um, So it wouldn't be all that surprising, as you mentioned, for some of these younger plants to, to really get some beneficial moisture here over the next handful of weeks. We'll have to continue watching these forecasts of course, to kind of give us more direction on this soybean market. But, you know, as we mentioned in the past, don't sleep on Brazil's crop. Right. I mean, uh, just because Argentina is having some issues down there and and obviously uh, you got to pay attention to it. But Brazil's production in all likelihood uh, is going to more than offset whatever kind of loss we see in Argentina. Burl, it's always a pleasure to have you on. I, I always enjoy our conversations and the insight that you bring. Are you willing to go on record and, and put an estimate out there on U.S. corn and soybean acres ahead of the Outlook Forum and the much-anticipated March projected plantings report? Oh, well, you're putting me on the spot here, Britt. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there, there's been a lot of talk about some some pretty heavy corn acreage. Um, and right now, the new crop corn prices, you know, may lend its hand into in actually seeing some of that. Obviously, uh, production costs are are higher in the U.S. I do think we've got to keep in mind where wheat prices have been and, you know, what 
the the wheat market very likely should have demanded for wheat acres and, and does that take a few away from the corn side of the balance sheet you know i wouldn't be all that surprised to see something around the 90 to 91 million acres for corn and then the question obviously becomes what is yield end up doing absolutely well I appreciate you being able to uh, go out on a limb, take a flyer and go on record with at least a a bit of a number there. We'll be paying attention as estimates from third party analysts start rolling in the closer that we get to that planting window. Verl, thanks again for joining us. If you've enjoyed listening to From the Furrow, subscribe to our podcast, share it with a friend or give us a review. Thank you to Corey Romero, our producer, and Paige Driscoll for mixing and mastering today's show. 